DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thank you all for being with us for Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, Greg Bluestein, who is with us on Wednesdays and, of course, is a political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and breaks all of the big stories over there. Greg, before I introduce the rest of the panel, I this morning when I saw your report that Doug Collins is officially in the Senate race, he's announced it on Fox & Friends, I sent you a quick text saying, could we possibly have much more fun than we're going to have <laughs> covering the election cycle of 2020? That's a huge story. Yeah, and it was very um, telling that he decided to break the news on Fox News. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about all of it. Um, uh, but I wanted to first give you credit for you know being on top of this all week this week. You've been reporting for a couple of days now that he was likely to do it this morning on Fox and Friends. He finally did. Um, let me introduce the rest of the panel, and we'll get uh, started right next to you. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, you'll see Heath Garrett, Republican strategist, a consultant, uh, Johnny Isaacson, uh, certainly the client he works with, has worked with most closely. And Heath, I want to Give, I want to give, commend you for two reasons this morning, if I may. Number one, now that we're on live at 9 a.m., you have to really fight traffic to get in here from up in uh, Cobb County. Thank you for that. And number two, for having the courage as a Republican and as a, someone as closely associated with Johnny Isaacson to be willing to be on the air live today, given what we expect to now happen in terms of how Republicans <laughs> will deal with Leffler versus Collins. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, Bill. Yeah. I had a few people text me this morning going, what are you doing? <laughs> Being on the air. Yeah. Why don't you just keep your mouth shut is what they've said, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to defend the cause. We're glad you're here. Amy Sagerwald is uh, with us. Of course, she's a political science professor at uh, Georgia State University, and we are glad to have you here. You're now also part of our election brain trust. You're going to be with us on the days after uh, primaries, caucuses, to help us break down what happened. I'm glad Yay. about that. I'm excited about it, too. Yeah, good. <laughs> and uh, we also have with us uh, Jeremiah Olney, who has been, uh, works with uh, Paramount Consulting, mm. with um, Theron Johnson, who's with us tomorrow. We haven't seen Theron for a long time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing him on the show again tomorrow. But I'm glad that you are here today. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure you must be feeling really excited about the prospects of what a fight between Republicans could mean for a Democratic uh, candidate in that jungle race in November. I think the word I would use is elated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, no, enough tea. Oh, I do want to make one announcement and then we'll get going. Um, we have something very exciting about to happen on GPB TV. You know, one of the longest running and most important public affairs political shows in uh, television is Washington Week. It's got a storied history, been on the air for years. It's now hosted uh, by Robert Costa of The Washington Post starting this Friday. We're going to run. It's never run in the Atlanta media market, the Georgia media market. And starting Friday night at uh, 8 o'clock, you'll be able to watch Washington Week finally in Georgia. I know that Robert and his team of producers are really excited. They're finally going to be seen here. What I like even more is you'll be able to watch Political Rewind at 7 on GPB TV and then go right into Washington Week at 8. We'll have a lot more to say about that in the uh, days ahead. All right. Greg Bluestein, let's... Let's just unpack it one step at a time. When did you first start hearing that it looked pretty certain Collins was going to get into this Senate race? It's been out there for, for a while now. I mean, look, honestly, the moment that he went on the record with me in November, mm -hmm. I think it was November um, 20th, the day of the debate, um, and said that he was strongly considering a run, I knew you don't do that unless you're, you're kind of in it. And at that point, he knew that Kelly Leffler, as, as, as did most of the 
political establishment in Georgia. He knew Kelly Leffler would be Governor Kemp's appointment. Um, and then it was a matter of just him getting his ducks in a row. And, and the moment he started calling supporters, um, I started hearing about it. Yeah. Um, and so that and that was this past uh, Monday. He was at the state capitol yesterday on his uh, break from D.C. Uh, and uh, he had the opportunity to talk to all of you then. In a moment, we'll talk about whether uh, what it means that he decided not to f- talk first to the local media. But let's listen to the announcement he did make this morning on Fox and Friends. And then I want to get everybody involved in the conversation. Here's just a little bit of Doug Collins talking on Fox and Friends. We'll pick it up after he's been asked by one of the Fox and Friends hosts, is it true you have a big announcement for us? Here, you, here it comes. I'm just going to confirm we're in for the Georgia Senate race down here. I've still got a lot of work left to do to help this president uh, finish his impeachment out, and we're going to make a bigger announcement down here in Georgia. But y'all been so kind to ask about it. I want to continue to say the people of Georgia, we're getting ready for a good time down here to keep defending this president, keep it working for the people of Georgia. The problem is the governor defied the president. The president wanted you to fill the seat. Right away, Johnny Isaac's in seat. The governor says, I'm going to put Kelly Loeffler there. She's got a lot of money. She's already got $2.6 million in ad buys ready to go. Are you ready for this task? And are you concerned that you guys will tear each other apart and open up the seat for a Democrat? No, we're not concerned about that at all. And we just need to have a process that lets people decide, lets them choose for themselves how they want to see this vision. I think we fought for the president, we fought for our state, and we fought for this country. Uh, and we're going to continue to do that. And I look forward to, to a good exchange of ideas and look forward to this election. Well, since you're fighting for the president, you got up early today to appear from Atlanta. Uh, are you anticipating he will endorse you? Well, I think that's up to the president. Again, we know why we fight. Look, we're down here right now to go go with the people of Georgia, uh, and I appreciate all his help and support in the past. We look forward to working for him and be back in Washington today to do just that. Okay, so that was Doug Collins uh, at about 7 o'clock Eastern time this morning. Heath, how do you avoid the kind of rift that this puts into, this creates for the Republican Party between Governor Kemp uh, and in, in terms of uh, some of his uh, strongest supporters and the conservative base that loves Doug Collins? Well, it's going to be a very fine line, right? At the end of the day, you know, there are two lanes here that I think are being taken within the, quote, Republican primary that we have, whether it's going to be an official primary or whether it's going to be the primary within the special election. Uh, there's the one lane, which is the Trump lane, right, that, that most candidates try to take. And then there's an outsider lane. And so people you know, have to understand Kelly Leffler's not a career politician. She's not been elected to office. She doesn't have a voting record. So she can claim for the conservative base one of the two lanes that the conservative bases appeals to. And both the Trump lane and the outsider lane are both poll tests very popularly within the base. The question is, right, is the fight for the kind of the soul of that in the middle of what's really a general election in November right now. So I think that if the candidates handle themselves well, the rift doesn't have to be totally destructive to the Republican brand and the party. However, competition brings out sometimes the best and the worst in us. And it's the question is, can can the governor, can Johnny Isaacson, can other elder uh, statesmen and women within the party kind of hold it together and it, you know, while we have this intramural uh, contest? There are examples of competition being good for parties like this. Uh, and I think that's the question that we have have uh, going in, but they're not usually in a special election yeah. <laughs> without an official primary yeah, process. A, gen, a, gen, a jungle election. Um, Amy Heath just really articulated what we're going to watch unfold mm-hmm. and how Republicans are going to try to position this whole thing, the insider lane and the outsider lane. Mm-hmm. Both Collins and uh, uh, Leffler are going to uh, declare their conservative Trumpian credentials Although Collins has a history that he can mm-hmm. fall back on so that we know it's authentic, whereas Leffler still has to prove uh, uh, that it's more than checking off boxes. They're both going to say that that's where they stand. So now it's going to be in the Republican side. It, it's what he said. It's who's the Washington insider? Are we going to have just another Washington insider, Doug Collins, or a fresh new face, an outsider with business? I mean, that's the way they're going to frame this whole race. Um, I think that's right. I mean, though, what is interesting is the degree to which Leffler has also already tried to go with the no, I'm a strong Trump supporter. Yeah. This is where I fit in. Um, her recent comments about Mitt Romney really sort of show that and the strong statement she's made about impeachment. 
And I guess what I'm struck by is that, again, what is weird about this is they're not running in a primary. Mm. They're running in a jungle election against who the eventual Democratic nominee is. We're still sort of waiting that out, though we've got sort of stronger thoughts of who it's going to be. Um, and there's a couple of side ones. But what they run the risk of is splitting the Republican vote and actually allowing the Democrat to win, especially if the Democrat perhaps tries to go with a broader message that's not just at the base, but is trying to maybe get those uh, Republicans who are not sure that they are as comfortable with kind of the Trump brand. Maybe they want sort of somebody else to be in there to sort of take, you know, again, that outside lane, especially if the Democrats run someone who is not, in fact, a Washington insider and things like that. So that might come up against each other. All right. But Jeremiah, let's just remind listeners, I don't think we can say it enough, Mm -hmm. what it means to have a jungle election. We're talking about a special election in November, which puts everybody on the same ballot, Republican and Democrat. Kelly Loeffler, Doug Collins, Raphael Warnock, probably Mm -hmm. Democrat, maybe Ed Tarver, Democrat. They're all going to run on the same ballot. So when you go in, you will vote for whomever you choose among those people. And if nobody gets 51 percent, you have the runoff in January. That's why when Amy, as you know, says, you know, when you've got a Leffler and a Collins on that ballot, you are potentially diluting the Republican vote that could have gone to one of them and maybe gotten them over the threshold. Right. I mean, if anyone remembers the handle all soft matchup back in yeah. mid-2017, that was a jungle primary, and that was about as chaotic as politics ever get is when you have, I think there were, what, 10 <laughs> candidates on the ballot? 18, 18 yeah. candidates yeah. on the ballot back then. And Ossoff at the time was the top finisher, although he didn't, uh, in the runoff two months later, he didn't come out on top. Handle did. That's the thing with runoffs. Democrats are going to try and avoid that runoff because historically, voter turnout's a little bit lower uh, during the runoff. Republicans will still show up for the most part. Democrats will show up a little bit less mm. so. Um I mean, what we're going to see here is that Leffler and Collins, if they have to spend the next 10 months just going after their base, there is no opportunity to pivot to a more general election message. What we've seen from the most recent AJC polling is if you're just going to dedicate your entire platform to I am on the side of Trump or I'm on the side of Trump, but I have a history of it, it's not really that different. And Georgia voters right now are not, you know, lining up behind Trump unanimously. It's, you know, 44 percent I said would definitely vote for him. 47 percent said they definitely would not vote for him. I mean, I don't think this is a winning general election message, but all they can do right now is fight over their base because they have to have the base to even get into a runoff. I think there are two interesting points here, right? The Democrats, right, are, are waking up this morning, and I think one of the words I heard was elated, right, yeah. uh, about this. However, right, it, that requires them to do what John Ossoff basically did, which was clear the decks, and there were no other Democrats. If you have an Ed Tarver running against a Raphael Warnock and you keep a Matt Lieberman in that race, right, I mean, it, it's, that's an interesting primary in and of itself, right, between particularly between Ed Tarver and uh, Raphael Warnock. So there's a lot of discipline that they're going to have to bring to the table. I do think it's interesting that the question is, can Kelly Leffler run two campaigns at the same time, right? Can she both appeal to the base by, and as I like to say, in her own words, articulating conservative values rather than necessarily having to parrot what everybody else does? And can she do why, the reason why Brian Kemp appointed her is she has the potential to appeal to moderate and independent voters, particularly women in the suburbs. And if, if they can run that dual campaign, it's very difficult to do, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Right. And that's baked into Governor Kemp's decision, right? I mean, he, he, he knew that this was going to be a special election in November, and that's the reason why he picked Kelly Leffler over someone who is more, better known to, to Georgia conservatives um, who, would, who would do better in a primary. Um, and, that, and that's why he issued that veto threat on Sunday night, because he knows that a primary would maybe not you know, doom her certainly, but it would it would certainly give her a, a much bigger challenge. Right. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. We're going to talk in a minute about the legislation that's before the House right now, which would in fact change the way in which we elect a senator in this in the special election. Let's kind of put that on the next. Uh, it's the next item on the agenda because it's very important to how we move forward with this. But uh, it, let me so. It, Governor Kemp, you know, on this show, when Kemp finally announced that Leffler was his choice, we said we gave Kemp credit. We said this takes a lot of courage to be a Trump Republican, as Kemp certainly has been, to resist 
the several uh, times that, that Trump said, please name Doug Collins to resist that and be willing to choose someone else, saying essentially, I know my state better than you do, President Trump. I've got to go with someone who I think has a better chance. So we gave him credit uh, as having some courage in being able to do that. Uh, now it puts him in a, I think, in a really tricky position. Am I right about that? I mean, look, he defied the president. Yeah. And, it's, and, and the president still hasn't taken a public stance um, between Leffler or, or Collins, but certainly it's well out, it's well known um, that he lobbied at least three different times personally to, to Brian Kemp to, to pick Doug Collins. And um, as you heard earlier, when Doug announced his, his run for the Senate, he said, I appreciate the president's support in the past, yeah. and I look forward to getting to it in the future. I think one of the interesting issues here, again, as we sort of look forward to it, not that this is not, in fact, a primary, right, that we've got a, it's a jungle primary, but it really means that you're also appealing to the broader base is that one of the reasons, right, that Kemp chose, right, choosing Leffler, she's got the business experience, right? There's also the fact that she's got a prominent position with the WNBA, right, that has done a lot of work in trying to promote uh, women of stature, right, within the community and sort of showing broke. And so that also plays into, like, a lot of the changes that I think we're seeing, especially in the metro Atlanta area and other places that where the Republican Party is really struggling is with, in fact, uh, female Republicans and bringing them in. And so what I was most struck by actually was uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee saying, look, we keep saying we want strong Republican women. What are you all doing? Yeah. Right. Support Leffler. Support let's Leffler. go. And I think that that's where that runs that risk. And so what I'm interested to see is whether or not Leffler starts to play up more her ties with the WNBA. But of, that gets her that. in trouble with the Because then that raises WNBA. questions about the about exactly. the fact that at one point the WNBA was supportive of Planned Parenthood. They support LGBTQ issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the picture of Stacey Abrams yeah. on the yeah. court. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. I don't think she's got any space to walk both lanes, honestly. Here's the thing. I mean, right now, it's not really about conservative ideology anymore. It's about, are you aligned with Trump or are you not aligned with Trump? And if you're not, then you are persona non grata in the Republican Party. And when she had her first press conference, it wasn't about appealing to the general election base. It wasn't about appealing to the Republican women that had been lost. It was all build the wall, ban abortion. It was all the sort of same talking points we've heard coming directly from the White House. People like Doug Collins, people have been supporting the president. I mean, she's not doing anything, I think, to appeal to the general election voter who's trying to decide, well, I don't like Trump, but maybe I could get behind one of these candidates if they're not so much aligned with Trump, but all of them are so far. And with her business experience, I don't know if that's going to be a huge asset for her. I mean, we've got most of the people in Congress right now are businessmen. They've got an average net worth of $3.2 million. And Kelly Leffer, I think, entered the Senate as the fourth richest member of that chamber. I mean, I don't see how she's going to be able to really connect with these sort of grassroots voters who need to come out in the way that Collins could. In, in the two months since she's been announced um, as Governor Kemp's pick, she's done a lot. If, if, not, if not everything she's done, a lot of what she's done has been focused on trying to ward off Doug Collins from, 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 from running yeah. and to build herself mm-hmm. up as, as a pro-Trump Republican. What will be interesting to me is now that Doug's running, it's out there, um, what she does now. If, she, if she, her, her second ad was a lot less pro, it still reinforced the message that, that Washington is a mess, but mm-hmm. talked a lot less politics, a lot more about her. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering to see if her message, you know, maybe doesn't maybe pivot, but broadens a little bit. Well, Heath, that's an interesting point. You're a consultant, so you know this game really, really well. Bluestein makes a good point. The very first thing she had to accomplish was she lost, and that was to try to scare Collins out of the race entirely by proving that she's a Trump person. Having not succeeded at that, doesn't she now have to revert to a more traditional strategy, which a new candidate has to do, which is build a biography, tell her story? That's right. And there's no question about that, right? We've already had one primary. That was the primary to keep Doug Collins out of the race. (laughs) That's over with. He's in the race now. Uh, Look, there's again, I always like to talk about campaigns. They do have the ability to walk and chew gum at the same time. There, There is a way to introduce a brand new candidate like that and talk about the Trump values, the Trump economy, the Trump things without being Donald Trump, right? I always say, you don't put Michael Dukakis in a tank, right? For those of you who don't remember, this is a <laughs> picture of presidential candidate Michael Dukakis in a tank trying to make him tougher on military, and it just backfired uh, in a bad way. Uh, and you don't need to do that with Kelly Leffer, right? You don't You don't need to try to make her Donald Trump. That's not her personality. Only Donald Trump can be Donald Trump. Yeah, but then what you're saying, you don't mean to be saying this, but all of the first messaging was exactly that. So in a way, you're 
you're in some well, ways you know, critiquing it's, it's, it's a little, the way it's she started. It's a little started. constructive criticism, no, yeah. no doubt, because okay. they could have done both, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. there's an interesting way of articulating that you are supportive of the policies of Donald Trump that actually Trump voters are really pretty smart voters, right? They actually have, a, contrary to my Democratic friends' uh, belief about their, <laughs> about their intelligence, they, they, they don't want you to just mimic Donald Trump. They, they, they care about whether you're you with him on tax policy or you're with him on military policy. You can do those things and not make yourself into something you're not. And uh, I think that she's starting to find those legs. New candidates always have to find their legs uh, in doing that. And Doug has a little more practice at being Doug Collins, right? It just happens to be more in line with kind of the core Trumpian uh, kind of way of thinking about the Republican primary. And again, we're not in a Republican primary, which is the interesting and historical opportunity here. So to the extent that uh, optics matter, and we know they do, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. there is a striking contrast between Leffler and Collins. Collins is North Georgia to it in his bones. He's <laughs> got the accent. He's got the colloquialisms. He's a preacher. The son of a state trooper. Son of yeah. a state mm-hmm. trooper. He knows how to talk to Georgians. Right. Uh, Leffler is a Midwesterner who's done extraordinarily well here in Georgia. No complaints about that. Um, she's a very different person from just, again, an optical point of view. Now, you know, I want to get you on this, and then it'd be interesting to hear Amy's take on it. Does that matter, really? I mean, I think so. It matters more that Collins is essentially ready for prime time. He's had yes. this experience for decades. He's been preparing for this. I mean, even before he was a politician, he knew how to talk to people. I feel like with Leffler, she's probably very good, you know, boardrooms and talking to. Yeah, know, I've talked to her. Yeah. To her and her husband, they're really fat, terrific people. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? But it's harder to kind of have that same energy on a stage or in a press conference that Collins has been able to capture. And one thing I want to touch on is we keep saying we're not in a primary, but I don't think the dynamics are all that different. If you are the Trump person, everyone will be looking or about a solid, I'd say half or two-thirds of the Republican base is going to be looking for the Trump candidate. And they're the ones who are going to show up and vote. So they're going to be about 33% of the vote. So if you're getting 33% of the vote, 33% of the vote is the Trump candidate. The other Republicans getting about 17 at best. I mean, you have to be fighting for that primary audience or you're not going to make it to the runoff. What do you think about optics on this kind of thing, Amy? You're very good at understanding women candidates. It's something you've studied and looked at very closely. Yes, and there's an excellent book that one may or may not want to read called Gendered Vulnerability. And I think that this by plays you. in... Yes, by myself and, and <laughs> Jeff Lazarus. And we, 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 we rather like it. It's in paperback now. Uh, one of the things that I think that is really important that we see here that sort of studies continually back up is that one of the issues that women candidates face is that they are much more likely to be primaried by members of their own party. So it's not just that they face strong general election challengers. It's that they're much more likely to get the challenge uh, at the primary stage. And I feel like that's sort of what we're seeing, right? She's much more, I think, not given sort of the benefit of the doubt that we might have normally seen the governor's choice to fill in this seat. Um, and I think some of that does have to do with she seems easier to beat. And again, yeah. it sort of goes more broadly as we sort of have the debate in the um presidential election as well over people bringing up these questions of electability of what role are women really supposed to be playing um in the end of right most of the politicians and elected officials that are you know still in the united states are in fact men and so it makes it more difficult to see that and you also start to see uh what i found really interesting is recent polls have shown that women in particular are most likely to say no the country isn't ready to vote for a woman yeah yeah greg um let's turn to how this uh, looks on a national uh, level you've been doing some reporting on that uh there's going to be a split in terms of PACs, in terms of uh members of the senate itself uh you already have the uh senate leadership fund which is a super PAC associated with mitch mcconnell put out a pretty uh, uh derogatory statement about collins it's, it's a quote it's so selfish of doug collins to be promoting himself when president trump needs a unified team and senator leffler is such a warrior for the president as we've said before senator leffler is an outsider like trump here's Keith, heath garrett not just another dc politician will have her back if she needs it so this is going to oh. split national republicans too yeah you're already seeing that play out as you mentioned the national republican senatorial committee also came out with a very similar statement calling 
uh, uh, Doug Collins selfish for doing this, saying that Georgia was at play now, was in play now. Um, I think Georgia was already in play, but it's saying Georgia's even more, mm-hmm. has an even more, a bigger target in its back. And you're seeing the divide trickle down to lo- local politics, too. Um, you know, House Speaker David Ralston didn't, nec- didn't quite endorse um, Doug Collins yesterday, but pretty much did, yeah. saying he was a close friend, um, and he'll, he'll, he'll never forget that. Um, so you're seeing you're going to see that play out in the vote over the primary that we'll talk about soon. But you're, you're going to see this, this sort of division um, nationally and locally um, that will bring even more outside money into this race. All right. Let's, we got to get to a break. But, but let, to finish off this part of the conversation, uh, Jeremiah, I just want to ask you about the Democratic side of this. We've kind of referred to it. Sure. But let's talk about it in, in more specificity. Uh, so we know that uh, we got Matt Lieberman mm-hmm. already in the race. Nothing's going to change that. We don't imagine he's raising a decent amount of money. Right. So uh, there's nothing that would suggest that he shouldn't stick with it if you're him. Uh we're now we think Raphael Warnock is pretty certain to get into the race. He's going to be a big favorite for an awful lot of Republicans. Ed Tarver, former Southern uh, District of Georgia U.S. Attorney, African American from Augusta. Do you think that, given that Warnock is so sought after by so mm-hmm. many Republicans, does this going to put pressure on Tarver? to stay out now that we know that we're going to have this split among possible split among Republican voters. If you're the Democratic Party, do you go to Ed Tarver and say, please, please, we'd love to work with you. Let's find somewhere else for you to start your you know, elective office career. I mean, I don't see this as a reason for Tarver to, you know, eliminate his option to run. I mean, we're still about 10 months out from that first election day. I don't see any reason why any Democratic candidate shouldn't take the next four or five, six months, dip their toe in the water, um, see how their message resonates, see how much fundraising they can do. And if you get to the end of that six months and there's not really a path forward, I think we all recognize how important these Senate elections are. I mean, control of the Senate is very much up in the air right now. And that is kind of the most, one of the most important things. I mean, undoing the sort of judicial legacy that Trump has kind of blown through for the last three years. So we need the Senate back. And I think Democrats recognize that. I don't think we're going to let our anyone's egos get in the way of being the most competitive that we can be in November. All right. And one last question, and then we'll take this break. Heath, how does our now senior senator, David Perdue, navigate these tricky waters? He's got to run his own campaign between now and November when the special election will also take place. So far... He said to Bluestein and others, everybody has, should be able to do what That's they want. Doug Collins, it's his prerogative. <laughs> but at a certain point, this is an awkward situation, I would think, for David Perdue. Look, you know, it absolutely complicates David Perdue's yeah. life. Uh, you know, the, the good news is, is he's run a strong campaign. We oftentimes aren't even talking about his race right now. I think my Democratic friends are struggling over there to figure out their primary against him, which is beneficial to David. But there is no question this kind of instability starts to put a Senate seat that looked to be getting safer and safer back into what I think national pundits and others would categorize as uh, – is complicated, and he's going to have that again very fine line to walk because his base is in Doug Collins' congressional district, right? Oh, when you go back right. to where he 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 was successful, and this is why Political Rewind will be live at nine in the morning, and you'll be able to hear another chance here at two once the impeachment trial is over with, as well as Friday night at seven because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Three we're, times a day. We're going to be there for everybody. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back and talk about it. We've referred to it, but let's talk about it in greater detail, Greg Bluestein. A bill which Tom Faust just pointed out to me is in the Rules Committee this morning, even as we speak, that would shake up the process of electing for that special election and and establish a primary. We'll talk about that after this. Peter Sagal here. We here at Wait, Wait, Love, the Fox Theater in Atlanta and are delighted to be coming back. Join us at the beautiful Fox Theater on Thursday, March 12th. Right now, you can receive your tickets before they go on sale to the public. Here's how. Go to gpb.org slash wait, wait. That's gpb.org slash wait, wait. And thanks. Support for GPB comes from generous listeners like you. And Georgia Southern University. Manufacturing is returning to the state of Georgia, and the industry needs hands-on leaders. Students can earn a degree in manufacturing engineering from Georgia Southern. More at georgiasouthern.edu slash CEIT. 
Does your busy life keep you from staying informed? GPB has you covered. You can listen live at gpbnews.org and on your smart home device. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at GPB News. Greg Bluestein, let's talk about this bill. Is it 757? that the House has uh, is holding on to right now. It's already passed through committee. It's in rules, which means, and in the Rules Committee, uh, they can uh, decide on whether it's going to move forward at this point, and there's no reason to think it won't. Okay. So right now, the way things are set up, as we've said, all of the candidates for Senate seat number two, the former Isaacson seat, will appear on a ballot not before November. Meanwhile, in May... All the other uh, statewide officers, uh, all the candidates in, in, will run in a primary uh, for the first Senate seat, for legislative seats, for everything. Now, this bill proposes that, in fact, instead of a jungle election in November, there should be a Republican <clears throat> primary in May for that second Senate seat. If I got that right? You got it right. And why— are the proponents of why do we why do the people who want this bill think it's good news for Doug Collins? Explain that. Well, they say they want it for consistency purposes. Yeah, <laughs> um, but right, it's, it's being pushed by Doug Collins' biggest allies in the Georgia House, including Speaker David Ralston. And look, he, our, the AJC poll that released last week shows you exactly why. Um, although both are are not exactly household names in among the broader Georgia electorate, Doug Collins is very well known among Republican voters who would dominate this this May primary. He's about above fifty percent favorability rating among Republicans in Georgia, um, and so in he, he's he's he would he would give her a very stiff challenge if not be the favorite going into a race like this. Okay, uh, let me throw out a different theory, and I think to some extent, Heath, it goes to what you said about complications for David Perdue. I know that the the Leffler people. Governor Kemp has already said this bill is dead on arrival. By the way, Stephen Fowler, our reporter at the Capitol, just sent us a note saying it's on the it was on the rules. Uh, agenda, It'll be up tomorrow, agenda, but they're not going to take yeah. it up today. All right. There is an argument you could make that for the Republican Party in general, having a May primary is a better idea because at least you'd emerge from that primary with a candidate and then have until November to bring everyone together around that candidate instead of having Collins and Leffler fighting it out till November, Purdue trying to figure out where the heck he's. Isn't there some advantage to Republicans, even though it pushes this contest between Leffler and Collins, accelerates it, and probably does give Collins some advantages? That is one of the conversations that I've heard over the last 48 hours, right? That if we're going to have this race anyway, by getting it over with in May, it gives the party the normal time to heal its wounds, get back together, and run a normal general election cycle. Because uh, otherwise, what you're risking is you could have two Republicans end up in a, in a runoff after November, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. in theory, right? Yeah. If, if my Democratic friends uh, beat the living daylights out of each other, other, which is possible. So uh, there are all kinds of scenarios out there. I think that's folks trying to take something that's really much more political than that and come up with a good articulation of why it might be a, a good thing. But there's no question that a primary in May is going to give Doug Collins a tremendous advantage. Because he's already uh, so well so known. So well known. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's become a celebrity uh, on national uh, cable news, and particularly Fox. And th those kind of advantages are hard to overcome in a a very short period of time. Why don't, before uh, we get everybody else in this, why don't we listen just to a little bit? Uh, yesterday, Speaker Ralston uh, had a had a little scrum. Reporters all wanted to ask him about uh, why he thinks this bill is a good idea. Here's just a part of what he had to say. Look, I don't. This is not about personalities. This is about uh, this is about making the elections more orderly, uh, more sensible, um, and uh, uh, you know anybody that's. Uh, running is going to have an equal shot at winning, so uh, uh, I, I, I don't understand that at all. And if Governor Kemp is vowed to veto it, do you have... He, he has the power to veto it, and then we'll see where we go from there. Ah, uh, Bluestein. 
Ralston sly like a fox on that one. <laughs> yeah, um, and look, and their best chance, their best hope is getting a veto-proof majority in the House, and they'll have most, if not all, Democrats on their side. And but really, the big question is not just will what will Kemp do because we know he'll veto it, but if the Senate will take it up. And remember oh. all the complicated politics over there involving Doug Collins. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's really, it's. It, it, this is hard to make this stuff. But you couldn't make this stuff up, Amy. You really couldn't. And I mean, what's also fascinating, honestly, is that if we did not have this particular election going on, most people don't like the jungle primary because it can set up this possibility that right, we have to go to a special election, right? In the runoff, right? Everybody hates runoffs. Runoffs are they're difficult. They're time consuming. It's hard to get people to go out again. People forget when election day is. And so matching it up with everything else is, in fact, a really good thing. We also don't let, right? Also, there's always each party always runs the risk that you get shut out of, in fact, that uh, runoff the election. Runoff. And so that's where it comes in. But in this instance, we have this overriding sort of political calculation that a lot of people see, which is, yes, at this moment, Changing the uh, jungle election in this way to a primary would definitely benefit Doug Collins. He's got much more name recognition. Uh, he's coming in it with at least statewide, I think, more of the support there. Although I think the AJC poll showed that he's still got a long way to go to he's be still, a, a name statewide. Yeah, he's no right? household name, but yeah. among Republicans, he has. Among, he has well, yeah, right. Right. among, right. among right. the people Republican that you would care Thank about you. and that Thank are going to be turning out. <laughs> yeah, you're that. right. And you're the right. other thing is to be perfectly blunt, he's got an easier sell if there's a primary in May. Yeah. Sure. To be able to get over that hump than Leffler does. She's simply less well known. And also it's unclear sort of, I mean, honestly, like where where she's fitting, how she's going to hand, right, what what her story is, especially given her background and right, the things that she's been doing very publicly, um, I think is really interesting, like about how she's going to handle the WNBA and what that means and yeah. how that fits into yeah. her history. All right. Um Let's move on. I mean, I think we've unpacked a lot of that. We're going to be talking about it in the obviously the weeks and months ahead a lot. Uh, but I thank you for a pretty uh, uh, exhaustive look for the time being at all of this. But let's talk about the domino effect very quickly. Greg, uh, the Collins decision opens up a congressional seat in the ninth district. It's uh, probably one of the safest and most conservative districts in the United States, really. Certainly east yeah. of the Mississippi that River. And the neighboring 14th, which is also open. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. So uh, what are we hearing about the 9th so far? Well, we have our first announced candidate um, mm. shortly after um, Doug Collins made, made his announcement on Fox News. State Senator John Wilkinson of Tacoa announced mm -hmm. he'll run. Um, and I kind of floated his name yesterday in, a, in an early blog. Um, Martha Zoller. The yeah, our host, friend Martha will probably mm -hmm. jump in, won't she? She seems like she'll jump in. She's letting it be known that she's very interested right. in, in a run. And then you've got a lot of other names. Chris Riley, the governor's Governor Deal's former top aide, is thinking about it. Butch Miller, the Senate president pro tem, said he's thinking about it, but likely not going to run. And then a few others have kind of taken their names um, out of the hat, including David Ralston, who said, no way. No <laughs> chance. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah, one thing we should imagine here is it isn't as if this seat is suddenly going to become prime territory for a Democrat. Right? Sure. I mean, yeah, I think... Democrats will be wise. This is something Republicans have done for years is compete everywhere. Whether yeah. or not they think they're going right. to win, if it's going to be an 80-20 blowout, they still compete. Sure. I mean, every election gives you an opportunity to move the needle two, three, four points. And over the course of a decade, that gets you pretty close to a win. So while I don't think this district, it's probably not in play this year, but I still think, you know, given the energy that's on the Democratic side right now, there's a very good chance we see someone who comes forward to at least compete and try and start cracking to that Republican barrier in areas like North Georgia. All right. Heath, you want to weigh in? No, I just think it's, an, it's interesting that both of our North Georgia congressional seats are in play all of a sudden in this cycle. That wasn't on the books yeah. when people were doing budgets six months ago about where we're going to have to spend money. They're both kind of safely Republican, but it is going to be a distraction from a state that is in play. And uh, if we don't end up with a traditional primary, and you're talking about a runoff for the Senate seat, after a very brutal presidential campaign and the balance of the Senate could be in play, yeah. um, it's just going to be a fascinating so, year. Just to remind our listeners, you've got Collins uh, surrendering the 9th District and Tom Graves, the longest serving Republican in the uh, Georgia delegation, 
uh, saying, I've had enough, and he's uh, giving up, too. That's why the 14th is in play as well. Let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back. we got more state news. Maybe we'll get in a little impeachment uh, before the show is <laughs> over. You're listening to Political Rewind. Ambassador John Bolton has a book to sell. Could it write the next chapter for what happens in the Senate? It's important to uh, be able to hear uh, from John Bolton for us to be able to make an impartial judgment. I'm Todd Zwillick. As the president's impeachment lawyers wrap up their case, how will they deal with the growing furor over a key witness? That's next time on 1A. 1A is this morning at 10 here on GPB Radio and streaming live at gpbnews.org. Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners. And the Georgia Historical Society, sponsors of the 2020 Trustees Gala, featuring the induction of Robert Brown and Bob Jepson. Saturday, February 15th at the Savannah Convention Center. Details at georgiahistoryfestival.org. And Macon Magazine, seeking, sharing, and celebrating the good life and great stories in Macon and Middle Georgia since 1986. More information plus how to subscribe and advertise at maconmagazine.com. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Amy Steigerwald, Jeremiah Olney, Keith Garrett, and uh, Greg Bluestein in the studio with us for today's show. Greg, we devoted a great deal of our time on yesterday's show to a conversation with Derek Schiller, the president and CEO of the Atlanta Braves, and Steve Coonan, who has the same titles with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they are part of the now four professional uh, sports franchise coalition. Uh, that includes Atlanta United and Atlanta Falcons, who are uh, working hard to uh, promote and pass a bill that would allow sports betting in Georgia. Uh, we gave them a lot of time because we said, let them set the table, and then in the weeks ahead, we'll certainly hear from the critics. Interestingly enough, the people who were watching that show on Facebook Live mostly had very negative things to say about sports betting. Uh, they're, they're nervous about it. They're uncomfortable with it. But we're going to see a sports betting bill uh, come out. And the question is, is it going to be part of a referendum to allow gambling in general? It, there are all sorts of ways this could be put together, and it hasn't started coming together quite yet. No, it hasn't. Um, you see Brandon Beach in the state Senate as being one of the, the main champions of this, and it's one of the reasons why, at least he said, he was not running for Congress anymore, is to focus on this. Paramutual um, wagering is his uh, horse, horse, yeah, race. horse racing. Yeah. Um, but there's different tactics that have been employed in, in, the, in past years. I mean, some limited to a certain amount of casinos that, that had a certain amount of revenue, and, and, and it's being pitched as a jobs uh, creator and uh, a new economic incentive to, to raise taxes. Uh, so, sorry, to raise revenues for, for, for Hope Scholarship. Um, but really, the big thing that I'm watching is you've got, for the first time, Speaker Ralston being very forcefully for some sort of um, legalization of gambling. At the same time, both Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan and Governor Kemp both said that they are um, – they're not supportive of this, but they also won't seek to actively block it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the, the big three um, maneuver this. Yeah, Jeremiah, we're going to watch it unfold. But um, there, there are some questions. You know, sports betting, the, the guys on the show yesterday make mm -hmm. the argument that it's all done. It's your mobile phone. There's no infrastructure. There's mm. no Taj Mahal. There's no palace <laughs> with, you know, neon and uh, and arrows flashing, right. come here and gamble. <laughs> and, and among other things, they think that's a kind of a much more palatable way for the state to get into gambling, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean, if they want to kind of do this in a step-by-step -step process, I guess slowly introducing people through sports betting online, okay, we'll do this first. If this works out pretty well, then maybe we look at casino gambling soon as well. I think really all the they're doing right now is they are, as they debate another income tax cut in the legislature, they are desperately looking for ways to make sure that 500 to $550 million that we lose every year is not going to blow more holes in the budget than we already have. So if sports betting can even fill a tenth of that gap, I think they're looking at anything that can do that. Okay. So I don't want to, I don't want to relitigate the Leffler uh, Collins thing on this show, <laughs> except to say, Amy, as Jeremiah talks about budgetary matters. Uh, as Governor Kemp is already, he's already in a fight with House leaders over the budget cuts that he is uh, demanding, yes. uh, that they're pushing back hard on. Most recently, Ariel Hart mm -hmm. in the AJC had a, mm -hmm. a 
terrific piece about how concerned many people are down there about the health care budgets, especially in rural Georgia. So now you're going to have this fight about Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins in the House especially and the budget problems. This is shaping up as a very difficult session for the governor of Georgia. It definitely is. And I mean, it's very striking. I mean, the budget fights are really very interesting because it's not, in fact, you know, Democrats saying, how dare you cut this? It's really the Republican leadership saying, look, we write conservative bills, right? Terry England, no one has ever, you know, suggested that he is not <laughs> a, a fiscal conservative, and that he's a spendthrift, <laughs> right? And it's saying, like, look, these are things that we need. And also what is what I think also plays into this, that could be that's a very difficult line for Governor Kemp to walk, especially as he tries to buttress Leffler, is that a lot of the cuts that are highlighted affect rural Georgia, which is also the area where, A, Kemp's base is strongest, and B, that he sort of said, this is the group I'm going to help out. There's a lot of issues here, and it's true, right? Rural health outcomes in Georgia are not good. They need help. There's a lot of things, right? There's a ton of counties that have, for example, no doctors. Like, that's a problem, right? People need to be able to get health care and a lot of the things that are being targeted. And so I think there's a lot of lines to be walk here, especially as some of these fault lines are the exact same ones. Uh, and yet, Heath, one of the things that Governor Kemp has in his hip pocket is the highest approval ratings of any official in the state of Georgia in most 60%. recent AJC poll. Yep. He's become very, very popular, and uh, that will serve him well. He's not going to win fights. It's not kind of like it, it, it might be with Trump. Uh, although Trump's approval numbers aren't that good, so I don't know where I'm going to go with that. But let's just say <laughs> Kemp has approval ratings that will serve him well. I think the, the governor Kemp said, "Okay, I am popular. I have done a good job. I'm going to use. I want to spend some of that capital, right?" I think that the governor, we're in here, you say, "Hey." As a fiscal conservative, we can see some kind of warning signs. Revenues have not been up as much as possible. Let's go ahead and deal with some of the pain now and be smart about it because where states get themselves in trouble is letting it get closer and closer and closer to that line of revenues and expenditures. We do have some explosive expenses, right, particularly in health care and in other uh, retirement benefits uh, for state employees and other things. That if, you, if you take the pain when the economy is good, it's a better time to to do that and can be better absorbed. The problem is death by a hundred cuts because every individual program becomes their own advocacy, their own lobby. And so the speaker has, has interestingly said, wait, we've been fiscal conservatives. We don't think there's as big of a problem with waste, fraud, or abuse in these programs. And uh, let's let's do things to grow the economy. But but if you're going to go take the knife, you need to take the political heat for doing that. And so he's turning it back to the governor to, to defend yeah. these uh, cuts. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, the one of the most fascinating parts of the session, stories of the session, is the open warfare between Speaker Ralston and, and Governor Kemp. And you saw a little bit of that tension or a lot of that tension last year, but you're really seeing it now. And it's over the budget cuts and the strain between cutting the budget while also trying to get Kemp's uh, teacher pay raise yeah. um, at the same time. You see it over the primary legislation that we were just talking about. And you see it over even, you know, Kemp's foster care bill. You know, normally feel-good legislation that you you don't see fellow Republicans criticize, but David Ralston said he was worried about the part of the bill that sets up a new commission that sets regulations. So you're going to see this continue to play out uh, between these these two these two feuding camps um, through the election and through whatever happens the next thirty or so days in the legislature. Uh, and we're hearing warnings from not hearing it from the to the best of my knowledge you would know this better than i from the governor's office but from house leaders uh we could be here until mid-april or so mm -hmm. because uh this thing is getting so <laughs> treacherous the it's budget. why the speaker ralston wouldn't set an end date mm -hmm. to the yes. legislature mm -hmm. yes and yep. of course jeremiah the last thing that legislators want in any year but in an election <laughs> year mm -hmm. particularly where number one they cannot raise money while they're in mm -hmm. session and number two they want to get out and be on the campaign trail right. being told oh yeah it may be made before you get to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no one is uh, eager to stick around the Capitol past, you know, late March if they can avoid it. I mean, this is the time in this year, especially in any election year, but this election year, especially, they need to be out there on the campaign trail, raising money, talking to voters. I mean, having the pulpit at the Capitol is a very useful thing if you take advantage of it, but it's not quite the same thing as being in the districts when you've got your, especially the primary competitors or general election competitors who yeah. aren't in office right now, they could be doing whatever they it's want right now. It's sort of like <laughs> Amy, oh, being a Democratic presidential candidate stuck in the Senate in Washington instead of campaigning in Iowa <laughs> the week before the caucuses. <laughs>
Yes. <laughs> let me let me take another but, and let me give you another thing to let me tee up something different for you. Some of this, I wonder if some of it could have been avoided. You know, when Kemp announced the four percent cuts immediately last mm-hmm. year the, for the current fiscal year budget. He gave legislators no room to be at the table to talk about it. He did it by executive fiat. He then told them they could not go ahead with them. He told state agency heads, don't go to these Mm -hmm. budget hearings that David Ralston wants to have late last year. You know, he decided to shut them out. He may have had good reason, but it certainly didn't help the situation among those guys. The thing that I have been most struck by while being down at the Georgia Capitol is the degree to which it is an ongoing, very collegial conversation between the various groups. It is a lot less sort of partisan than Mm. we think about it, especially if you compare it up to it's – it is definitely a lot about these sort of long-term relationships, about people trying honestly to work together to figure out how to do it. And so that one I think struck a lot of people as interesting because you've got – the leadership is all of your own party, but for some reason you just didn't talk to them first. Yeah. And I really think if he'd gone to Speaker Ralston and said, I'm thinking about doing this, help me guide this through, it would have perhaps been different. Johnny Isaacson was doing a little comparison of this. If you go back to the early 90s, you know, it, it was famous that Zell Miller, the Democratic governor, uh, Tom Murphy, the Democratic Speaker of the House, who was the longest serving Speaker of the House Mm -hmm. in history, uh, and uh, Peter Howard didn't necessarily like to go out and have drinks and eat dinner together, right? They they did not get along. There were a lot of inter-party squabbles, right, Mm -hmm. going on, but they did get together a couple of months before every session and kind of map it out for for that. And uh, Democrats have historically been a little bit better about that, right? We as Republicans are rugged individualists, (laughs) but we were for individual liberty, however (laughs) you you want to philosophically excuse it, but I do think there's probably an opportunity here for the party. And this happens to parties, by the way, as you get closer to parity, right? The Democrats mm-hmm. are coming, right? Where I don't think we're quite purple yet, but but my Democratic friends argue that we are. That we're definitely more competitive, and uh, but we've been in control for a while, uh, and it, it behooved the governor and the speaker and the lieutenant governor and leadership in those chambers uh, to exercise their co- competition and their philosophical disagreements, but find a way to unify at the right time, whether that's March or April. Greg, uh, Galloway in a column today suggests that part of this is that Kemp, when he was Secretary of State, had a rocky relationship with the legislature. They kept cutting his budget. They kept taking powers away from him. uh, And that maybe some of that is uh, his not being quite trusting of the legislature may harken back to the those days in some ways. Yeah, I mean, but again, he also was a member of the legislature. So, yeah, well, so yeah, he has right. he has close ties with some lawmakers, not so close ties with others. The interesting thing too is like remember the Senate, pretty much every state senator endorsed Casey Cagle, including mm-hmm. his own yeah. brother in law. Yeah. Um, so you know he he has some ground to make up. That's probably why also we see most of his agenda items are not hugely controversial bills th- this year at least, and so far at least because that could change. <laughs> But we're talking foster care. We're talking anti-gang stuff. We're talking legislation that isn't exactly going to be – it's not going to be easy for even Democrats to oppose. All right. It's a, a fascinating session made even more interesting by this huge news story uh, this morning that Doug Collins is now officially in the Senate race. We're going to keep working to uh, invite Doug to come on Political Rewind, and he's done the show in the past, so I, I'm pretty hopeful he'll want to talk to us at some point. Uh, we didn't say, and we're almost out of time, Greg, there's sort of some hurt feelings here that he had the opportunity to break this news to all of you in the local uh, news business and chose to do it on Fox and Friends instead. Yeah, he was very coy yesterday um, when I was bugging him about it at the State House. He said, stay tuned. Yeah, but of course, that his bigger money potential is with the Fox and Friends audience than it is within the state of Georgia. That's got to have something to do with it, I would Let's guess. see how much his day one fundraising brings in. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. <laughs> All right, we are completely out of time for today's show. I have to admit I'm thrilled that we didn't spend a minute on impeachment. You're hearing enough about that <laughs> exactly. on every other channel out there. Well, today's the day to watch, though. Yes, this it, is well, where we actually see a little back and forth. One o'clock. Today, they will convene again. Questions from senators. You can listen to it on our uh, air, GPB radio, all afternoon. I'm Bill Nygut. See you tomorrow.